What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Consciousness and Contact Conversations with the leading academic researchers and experiencers that will explore the relationship between consciousness, our greater reality, and contact modalities. With the director of the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute, here's Ray Hernandez. Good afternoon, everyone, and good evening for those that are in the nighttime. I have a very, very special guest uh, tonight. Uh, first of all, my name is Ray Hernandez, and I'm your host for the radio show, Consciousness and the Contact Modalities. And we have uh, one of my dear friends and one of the co-founders of the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation and someone who was really uh, led me down this strange path from the very beginning of my experiences. And that's my dear friend, Mary Rodwell. As we go through the interview, she'll tell you a little bit more about her background, her vast experiences, the wealth of knowledge that she's obtained in, in this field of UFO contact experiences. And, and in the paranormal in general. Uh, so, Mary, welcome to uh, Consciousness and the Contact Modalities. Hi, Ray, and hello um, from Australia. Look, it's an absolute pleasure to connect with one of my dearest and special friends and colleague from uh, the beginning of a wonderful venture that we, we came together on, which, of course, was the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation. And since then, of course, so much has happened. So I'm really looking forward to sharing this with you again. Thank you, Mary. Um, maybe we could start off instead of going, you know, through your background and how you got interested in these personal topics. Let's discuss how we first met. And um, uh, again, it was really a strange experience how we met. Could you give uh, the audience members a little background about that? Well, very briefly, my professional background is I was a nurse and a midwife. I um, got drawn into counselling in a medical practice for a number of years. Then in, when I came to Australia, in, I actually spent some time doing grief and bereavement, working in hospice, um, which was very profound. And ultimately, this led me into looking at hypnosis and working with hypnosis and basically being more available to people who had had what we used to call anomalous experiences. And the, the reason that was significant is because it actually drew a gentleman to come and see me when I went into private practice because I was open-minded, he said. And he said there was not, no support for this. For this, he said there were no support groups. For this, people just thought you were crazy. And he told me about his encounter experiences, waking up 
with marks on his body, etc. His partner was having experiences. The children were having experiences. People wouldn't come to the house because they called it demons. Um, and he just said, can you help? And that really started me down this rabbit hole where fortunately I'd read a couple of books. One was uh, Abduction, Human Encounters with Aliens, which was by, by Professor of Psychiatry at that time, Dr. John Mack, who, who was at Harvard University, and he explored many of those that had had experiences, um, like the one that uh, my first client had. And he came to the conclusion that it was very real after doing all the psychological testing. And not only that, wrote a second book, um, Passport to the Cosmos. What was significant for me was I had a reference that was highly credentialed in terms of a professor of psychiatry, which was very important because of my work that started from that very gentleman. And secondly, the book Communion by Whitley Strieber. So I was really quite a way down the rabbit hole when, of course, um, I got this very strange email, or should I say not so strange, really, because I've, I've come across three and a half thousand people in the meantime who've had experiences. But this uh, was strange because it had been sent to me six months prior to me act it actually coming up on my computer. And it was from a gentleman called Ray Hernandez telling me about his experiences. And I was completely um, well, apologetic to start with that I hadn't seen the email before and that it had just come up spontaneously on my computer, which we have a chuckle about out Ray and myself since that time. But of course, Ray told me about his significant encounter and how that had changed his life. And then I even asked you when um, when I responded back to you, I said, Mary, um, this was six months ago. How do you just get an email pop up on your computer from six months ago? And what was your response? Oh, lots of strange things happen in my world, Ray, as you well, you well know. <laughs> that, that's right, exactly. And then I, be, I then told you what happened in these last six months. It was a lot more additional, primarily paranormal type of experiences. And then um, uh, you showed me how to use Skype. You were the first one that showed me. And then um, all of a sudden, the following morning, at 9.30 in the morning, I got a telephone call. Hello, is this Ray Hernandez? I said, who is this? Dr. Rudy Shields. I go, who are you? <laughs> Could you talk about a little bit about your relationship with Rudy? Because um, this man who was a, a retired professor of Harvard University, Department of Astrophysics is giving me a call the very next day after I speak with you at 9.30 in the morning and I had no idea who this man was or what he wanted. <laughs> so um, could you tell your audience members of your relationship at that time with Rudy? Absolutely. Um, Dr. Rudy Shield is a, a most wonderful friend and again became a colleague. I met him initially in Newport in a very private gathering some years prior where he'd been involved, obviously, with Dr. John Mack and many experiences because he was fascinated by the whole phenomena. I remember um, him so fascinated in all the amazing drawings and scripts that I was getting from experiences. And I was amazed that this astrophysicist showed interest in all this kind of phenomena, um, which was amazing, but also very heartening to know that there are scientists out there 
that are prepared to look beyond the standard 3D reality. And, and that was what I, and what was amusing to me. I was taking lots of um, images and video of orbs, uh, the orb phenomena, which I found quite fascinating. And I remember um, Dr. Shield saying, right, Mary, let's go outside and see if we can we can see if we can film some of these orbs. And this was, as I say, in Newport. So I felt very comfortable when um, Ray had said to me he needed to speak to some scientists and, uh, and I mentioned, um, well, I had contacts. And so I put a, an email to Dr. Rudy Shield and he kindly got in touch with Ray literally um, within a few hours, which was brilliant because that has created uh, a most amazing um, connection that um, Ray, of course, will, will, I'm sure, tell you about as well. Yes, and, and all of this occurred uh, pretty much at the same time where I had an experience while I was driving my car and I was taken to another reality. Um, and, um, and at that time, initially, I did not provide all the details to everyone, Mary, because um, even when this lady from MUFON came into my house, uh, when we talked about the medical healing of our dog and seeing that energy being, my wife and I described what happened, but we didn't tell her about the dog being healed because it was just too much, you know? Um, and and um, uh, and like those first few days, I didn't tell you what had happened to me in the full details. I told you that I think, you know, what uh, I've got this download and they want me to do a, a documentary, a movie. <laughs> but uh, you probably have had cases like that where people initially didn't tell you all the complex details of their experiences because they were embarrassed. Is is that uh, uh, common? Um, well, Ray, yes, it is common because, you know, even now, I will get phone calls or emails um, where they're reluctant to tell me too much because they say, otherwise I'll think they're crazy. Yeah. And if I had a dollar for every time somebody said to me, um, I'm not sure I want to tell you this because I don't want you to think I'm crazy. Um, and they will tell me something that is very common in the patterns of this experience that they don't realize is actually to me um, not in the least unusual, but it's, it's, it's almost like, they're testing me out to check how open I am to some of their experiences and what have you. And of course, healings from the, the non-human intelligences are a lot more common than people realize. And we found out with our surveys, um, when we did the surveys with the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free uh, Foundation, that over 50% of the 4,200 that um, answered these surveys was 50% had healing on board craft. And so we've got not just them, but also the fact that your dog was healed. I mean, I can well understand where you were coming from, Ray, because <laughs> this was, you know, you were a, a complete and utter um, uninformed individual at the time where you were having all this phenomena going on. And I know many times you questioned with your sanity to, um, to even mention these things were happening. And this is not unusual. Um, and that's what has been uh, really hard for people. And, and one of the reasons I'm so passionate about my work becoming, uh, you know, more accepted 
we have a truth embargo on the fact that this is a reality. And this is the problem for so many, many millions, I believe, that are having encounters, is they can't talk about it openly because the modern model of psychology doesn't allow for multidimensional experiences. And as soon as you have anything out of the box, then in many cases, because of ignorance often, um, lack of information, you know, those that offer support, such as clinical psychologists or psychiatrists, are really ignorant of the fact that this is real. Well, Mary, one thing that I want to tell everyone here is that um, um, that very next day after I spoke with Rudy, I was at the home of Edgar Mitchell and um, and he just freaked me out, too, because some of the statements that he was making that he was saying. But the remarkable part of all of this was that three months after we initially first met and after I had that experience where I was taken into another reality, um, we were having our first free board of directors meeting in August. Um, that initial experience uh, and our communication was in May. And here we were in uh, in August with. Um, uh, you know, the late uh, Leo Sprinkle with uh, Kathleen Martin, with uh, um, uh, Dennis Briefer, uh, Rudy Shields, with John Clemo, and, you know, um, numerous, Denise Stoner. Um, uh, we even had Linda Moulton Howe at that first meeting. Uh, so it was a huge meeting, but it was within three months. And, um, and, and we got to work. Could you tell a little bit about how the free organization got formed. I'll just let the audience members know that the four co-founders of the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation was yourself, myself, Dr. Rudy Shields, and Edgar Mitchell. And um, and and I'll let you you know tell the story because I've I've told it before. But uh, you know what what to you what what was the importance of of the research study that we did with your with the Free Foundation. I, I think it is one of the most significant in ufological circles, even if at the moment it's not given the credit for that. What, how it unfolded, again, I put to uh, um, a force higher than myself. Um, I believe that uh, a lot of things that happen are assisted by these non-human intelligences, and this was certainly one of them. The way that it it unfolded, I you know, in me coming across an email out of, Six months later, for example, connecting with Dr. Rudy Shield in the way that ha it happened. And then, of course, Ray connecting, you know, with Dr. Edgar Mitchell in the way it was and being told basically this is what needs to happen. That he was given this message that this needed to happen. And I remember you telling me that um, Dr. Edgar Mitchell said, well, in that case, it started, you know, begin, be begin the mission, which was yeah, to create an organization. Yeah, they, they both said, look, we spoke with each other and you have been given a clear mission and uh, we're your scientific advisors. And I remember telling you afterwards, after I met Dr. Edgar Mitchell, and I was like freaking out because I hadn't digested what was taking place, Mary. As you know, I'm just um, the very early stages of uh, a year and a half of these experiences and you really don't know what's going on. And um, And I said, look, both of them want to be my scientific advisors for a mission, which I have no idea what I'm going to do. But if I ever do figure it out what I'm going to do, do you want to join this? I remember at that point you said yes. And then uh, just to tell the audience members, um, I woke up on Saturday morning 
And I already had the details, the blueprint of the world's first comprehensive statistical academic research study of UFO contact experiencers. And I wrote out the details. I think it was like six pages or so. And I sent it to you, uh, Edgar Mitchell and, and Rudy Shields. And I said, uh, this is what I woke up with. And and I remember you said, brilliant, right? Brilliant. Let's go with it. <laughs> and then it was shortly thereafter that um, I don't really know how Kathy Martin, you know, came to join with us. Uh, um, Dr. John Klimo. Um, I know Dr. Bob Davis, uh, but but some of these other folks, I have no idea uh, how they came in. But eventually, within three months of our discussion, we were having a large group meeting uh, to begin to put our thoughts together is how do we implement this research study? Um, so my question for you, Mary, is um, do you have memories of those first days of how we were trying to uh, grasp of, you know, how do we begin this study? Um, well, all I can say, I mean, it's quite a while ago now, Ray, yeah. as you're, you're aware of, is that it was, you know, various people talking to various people that had become aware that this is what we were doing. I think we all put out feelers um, yeah. to different individuals. Do Dr. Shield, for example, I know has a great contact list. I do as well. I'm, I'm pretty certain Dr. Edgar Mitchell also and others started to put the word out that we were, this was what was um, needing to happen. And I think you your download and then it had to be very much um, a scientific um, support of this because nothing had ever been done previously in any kind of form that was giving credibility and, and um, I don't know, stability to this whole phenomena. It was always very limited kinds of questionnaires and what have you with 20, 30 people or whatever. Nothing on that scale that ultimately was the 4,200 globally. There had been nothing done on this. And I think that's what, you know, fired everybody's imagination, the chance to make this a global research project, I think, fired everybody up into this is time. This has to happen now. Yeah. And Barbara Lamb, I don't want to forget Barbara Lamb, you know, as, as part of our group um, and, and, and the late Leo Sprinkle, who had been researching this as an academic. He was a professor at the University of Wyoming. Since the early 60s, I think it was, he began to have an interest in this. And um, Mary, what, what, what struck me was that um, you, Leo Sprinkle, Barbara Lamb, Kathleen Martin, Denise Stoner, people that have been researching this phenomenon for over 30 years and I had been working with experiencers, in your case, more than 3,000 experiencers at that time, um, you kind of knew what the findings were going to say, but you didn't have the data. Is is that fair to say? Oh, um, free actually saved my academic career if I had one, um, simply because I'd written Awakening in 2002, which was um, how extraterrestrial contact can transform your life. And I didn't see any other um, book or um, any kind of paper that actually gave it uh, this more benevolent kind of uh, spin, if you like. Most of the time it was talking about trauma. It was talking about 
you know, these these horrible beings that were coming and taking people without their consent. But what uh, what blew me away, because I was perfectly open to whatever I, you know, I discovered through my working with individuals was ultimately something quite different. And that probably upset a few people that had already made up their mind or their hypothesis that, you know, this was evil aliens and they were all coming to get you and take you whether you liked it or not and all the rest of it. Well, that wasn't what was coming through. Uh, there was certainly a number that were highly traumatized from it, understandably so, especially if you don't understand what's actually going on or why. But as they grew to understand what exactly was going on and how it changed them, often in amazingly positive ways, such as becoming more aligned with the land, um, losing materialistic values, interested in healing, um, wanting to really look at this uh, their lives from a completely different holistic perspective. That was what I was seeing. So I thought, well, you know, that, that's not what is coming out in mainstream and generally put out in many ufological circles was you are going to be highly traumatized and a victim. And that was not what I was coming across and possibly not making me very popular uh, in certain circles. But what was brilliant about of course, what the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation did through its wonderful book, you know, Beyond UFOs, the science of, of contact and consciousness with non-human intelligences, was that it was really affirming exactly what I had been seeing for myself, but not having the wonderful data that was coming out through that book that completely, I believe, changes the whole understanding of our connection to these intelligences. Yes, Mary, no, wonderfully said. Um, uh, just to give a background to the audience members, I um, brought to the group uh, at that time, because we were trying to work on the methodology. How do we go about doing this? Um, I said, I just finished reading a book by Dr. Kenneth Ring, and the book was titled The Omega Project. And it was um, uh, Dr. Kenneth Ring is now is in his mid 80s, and he was a professor of uh, psychology at the University of Connecticut, and um, actually he was one of the pioneers of near death experience research. And so in that book that he published in 1996, that was actually was a statistical book, which compared 85 people that had uh, near death experiences with 85 people that had UFO abduction experiences. Okay, and um, and he administered this uh, survey of almost 300 questions to both groups. And a large part of that, roughly 70 questions, dealt with how were these people before their experiences and how are they now? How did they change? And, and I remember that some members of the group were familiar with Dr. Kenneth Ring's book. I know that Dr. John Klimo was because John had studied uh, the near-death experience in, in detail as well and, and a few others. And so I um, gave everyone... Uh, some of those questions, and I said I would like to be able to uh, to approach Dr. Kenneth Ring to see if we can borrow his questions to have in our survey, and we did uh, administer those questions in our survey, and and lo and behold, we found the same exact uh, uh, findings as Dr. Kenneth Ring that 
depending on the question, between 70 to 85% of the people that answered each question totally changed their outlook dramatically on the specific issue of the question. For example, are you much more spiritual? It was like 85% of the people said yes, both you would expect that from the NDE folks, but here we had the UFO abductees say, I'm much more spiritual. I'm much more loving. I'm much more caring. I'm much more ecologically friendly. I don't believe that money is important in life anymore, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, to me, that's probably the most shocking finding. There were tons of findings, but here we had 4,300 people saying the same thing, how they were transformed. And, and that is certainly um, what hasn't been done and looked at really in any um, concrete way up to the point of the, the surveys that were done with the Free Foundation. And I mean, to me, that is what is m the most significant in terms of when people say to me, well, you know, what are the agendas, you know, or what are the programs with these intelligences? because of everything that's out there is, is generally of a, a negative perspective. And I'm saying, well, if they've got a really negative agenda, what, just tell me why they're bothering to change someone from uh, a materialistic world into someone who cares about the planet, cares about his fellow humans, that wants to only do good and do positive things. If you're wanting to take over the planet, um, it's a really strange way of doing it unless in fact you've got a completely different agenda. Yeah. And what we found, of course, is exactly that. Well, Mary, another thing for the audience members, just to, you know, to let them know, here you have Whitley Strieber, who wrote this terrifying book, Communion, about his uh, horrific experiences. And that was part of uh, the, 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 the mindset at that time with Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs, that these were all negative experiences, that these were negative beings, that sort of thing. And look at Whitley Strieber now. Now he's Mr. Love and Light, okay? In recent interviews, he prays to these beings and he gives them thanks for transforming him, for changing him, for making him a spiritual person, and also giving him the gift of being able to communicate with his deceased wife, okay? And that's just one person, Whitley Strieber, the most famous uh uh, abductee in the world. And then we have Kathleen Martin, who was part of our group, part of our the Free uh, Research Committee. Uh, she wrote a very famous book uh, titled Captured, you know, Captured by Aliens, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, got tons of publicity. Again, it was continuing to push this agenda of, of, of abductions. And now she just recently wrote a book, a brand new book uh, titled From Abduction to Spirituality. OK, talking about her life journey, transformation into spirituality. OK, and um, and also many of the people that worked with uh, with Bud Hopkins, very famous names, you know, um, they're all deeply spiritual people now. Uh, initially, they were talked about their traumatic abduction experiences. But if you listen to them now. You know, highly positive. I think you went to a conference with one of these uh, individuals in, in California. Uh, Deborah, uh, I forgot her last name, uh, but but uh, you probably know who I'm talking about. Yeah, and, she and was in in one of his books. 
Yeah, and and so um, uh, um, also Reverend Michael Carter, who wrote one of the chapters for us, he's an ordained minister. He started off with Bud Hopkins, you know, viewing these as as horrific, terrifying experiences. And the man's now a reverend. <laughs> he's Mr. Spirituality, you know. Um, so uh, these are just examples of the transformation to take place. Now, Mary, let me get into a couple of other uh, uh, questions here. Let me ask you this generic question. If you were to mention what were the major topic areas of the research findings that's uh, very, very important that uh, Beyond UFOs uh, presented, uh, we talked about the transformation of the individual in so many different ways. What are the types of categories that um, you would say that the book presented that uh, that still the vast majority of ufology is totally ignorant of? I think the most significant, given my background, which is, you know, looking at helping people to um, explore and integrate their um, experiences with these non-human intelligences. Um, the things that were valuable for, for me to have affirmed were, first of all, the, the most important outcome, ultimately, once they'd worked through the process, was um, I think 85% or around that um, were saying that they had a psycho-spiritual transformation. Yeah. And that in itself says it all. So we have positive, um, a, a very positive, uh, an amazingly um, important outcome where much of their awareness has been expanded. This was the other thing to do with their multidimensional abilities were expanded through this. So they were able to connect more with everything around them. And, you know, there was a, a sense of connecting with the collective, connecting with all sentient life. Um, feeling uh, very much more benevolent towards one another and all these more positive traits of humanity, compassion, you know, um, all these kinds of wonderful abilities we have for love and caring and etc. and empathy, all those were um, expanded. And that for me was extremely um, important, which had not been really highlighted in any research that I'd come across. One of the other things that takes away uh, what I call, you know, that's out there in the media is, you know, the greys are the ones that everybody sees and nobody sees very much else than that. What was coming through these surveys was the multitude of different types of consciousness. Yeah, thousands of different types of beings, thousands. Yeah, um, both physical and non-physical was really important as well the interdimensional ones you know um i think in the survey it was saying the one that most people see is energy beings not yeah. the greys actually the, the the number one category was other <laughs> um uh, but but in terms of the specific 12 categories that we mentioned of what physical beings that people were were, were seeing first of all was other because they look right uh, uh, you didn't have it here in these 12 categories but the number the next one is the energy being like you said yes and then the humanoids i i can mention just briefly that one of the families that i'm supporting at the moment all the family are drawing beings that they are seeing right down to the nine-year-old but the 17-year-old has drawn 250 different intelligences um, of beings that she's seeing and connecting with, 250. So 
what we're getting here is the incredible number of intelligences that are working with humankind in, you know, in different forms. So that in that was a very significant one, taking away this old, under, you know, paradigm of grey beings or what people see generally, and they're the scary ones, which of course completely changed that as well. I say the other thing that, um, because it's it's always been something important to me is the healing, and I that that you know when you've got I think it, it was something like fifty percent of those. Yes, it was exactly fifty percent. Yeah, had healing on board, craft, and that's you know being continually echoed in some of the work that um, I'm doing now. Where healers, uh, I remember one healer who had nothing to do with seeing extraterrestrials or non-human intelligences. It was always spirit guides and what have you in England. And she said, I was trying very hard, Mary, and this is all weird for me because I've never seen these beings before. She said, I couldn't find, uh, I wasn't able to heal this particular person for whatever reason. The next thing I'm aware of is this being is standing next to me. It's an alien, she goes. And she said, it's taking me and this woman up on board craft and they're doing something that is healing for her this this woman that had been sick that the healer herself couldn't uh, work with and brought us both back and she said the woman a few days later was eating and sleeping normally but i have never seen these beings before she said and it's freaking me out that i'm starting to see them but this was her first experience as a healer literally being taken with the one she was healing on board craft and the, the the hardest thing for her was coming to terms with it not just being a spirit being that she'd always accepted up to that point, but was a, one of these intelligences. So this is happening and it's happening far more than people realize. But the healing side of it is never shown or ever really mentioned in only very few cases. And I've been in the field now over 25 years and, you you know, you just don't get this kind of information coming out. It's only starting to come out in recent years. And some of that, I have no doubt, is because of the research that um, we've done with the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation. Yeah, it's um, the the reason why I asked those, uh, insisted on those healing questions was because of the, you know, our own healing of our dog by that energy being. But uh, I also uh, understood that Preston Dennett wrote a book uh, years before our research study titled UFO Healings. It was 100 cases, and that got very limited publicity. That went nowhere. <laughs> and then after we, um, uh, uh, he and Dr. Joseph Burks, Burks wrote Chapter 6 on UFO Healings, because I had sent them hundreds of 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 uh, of case studies, you know, from our research study, people that wrote out the details of their healings. He later wrote, uh, wrote a book titled 300 UFO Healings," and that was published just a, a few years ago. But let me uh, ask you another question, Mary. One other topic that um, you were not obviously not surprised, and Kathleen Martin was not surprised, was um, we discovered that these experiencers were having every type of paranormal quote-unquote type of experience um to throw out some data out there um it was uh, 80 percent of the people were having out-of-body experiences 50 percent were having medical healings 50 percent of the people were being brought to other dimensions 
Okay, um, we, we termed it matrix type of realities. Um, um, in terms of ghosts and, and seeing deceased people, it was two thirds of the people were seeing deceased people. And out of those, another 60% were actually communicating with the deceased people. Um, near death experiences was 37%. Orbs was like 60, 60% of the people had physically seen orbs, not in photos or videos, but you know, real life orbs right in front of them. And um, and and to me that was um, one of my the most shocking aspects of it was just how large was the percentage that these individuals were having paranormal experiences. But to you that was just like you knew that was going to happen, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> then you saw the data. So can you tell a little bit about the paranormal aspects of the phenomena? I think that's the most one of the most significant because a lot of my work these days seems to be helping people manage their multidimensional experiences because a lot of shut down those that awareness as a child through programming and having these experiences in fact seems to trigger um, an activation of these non these more multidimensional experiences and one of the ones the things I wanted to mention before too that I'm quoting more times than a little is the fact that what we discovered in the surveys is 75% of encounters are out of body and not physical. And that's been really significant because the numbers of people that come to me and say, well, I had a dream where I was on a spaceship and this and this and this happened. And I, I chuckle a little bit because I'll say, and when was the dream that you had where you were on a spaceship? And they'll say, oh, it might have been about 10 years ago. So I said, you're still remembering what you think is a dream 10 years later, and you think it's still a dream, when we know that many of these experiences are, in fact, out of body. So that's the first thing that I think is really significant that that has you know, been part of the reason that I think, you, you know, standard nuts and bolts ufologists have struggled a lot because yeah, and, of. Uh, and, of and just to interrupt you a second, Mary, what we're talking about is the consciousness of the human being is goes out of body, just like an out-of-body experience, just like near-death experiences, like astral travelers, okay? The consciousness is being taken out of the body. And, and what it appears like is um, at the same time, the physical body and the consciousness, soul aspects of it, of the individuals are being worked on. I mean, would you tend to agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I have um, actually worked with people in hypnosis where they have um, explained to me that they've seen themselves on the craft and that their consciousness has been removed so that the beings can work on their brain, on their physical brain. And I will say sort of, where are you? And they'll say, we're just in this beautiful place um, where they, they've been held or their consciousness has been held while their physical body in some way has been upgraded or being worked on or healed. So, I, I, you know, there is so much more to the, the consciousness side of this. And if anything is teaching us we're more than our physical body, it's these experiences, simply because so many go out of body and go to other places um, with these beings. And I remember doing a regression with a 15-year-old um, in England, and he was describing to me the being in the back garden, his whole family had had experiences um, and the car had been taken up on board craft, etc. But he re recalled an experience in the garden 
where a being, a spacecraft was there and a being came up to him. And he said, oh, he said, and I'm seeing three orbs of light. And he said, oh, that's granddad and grandma, great granddad and grandma. And and I think it was an uncle. And I said to him, so how do you know what these orbs of light are? And he said, oh, I just know. And I said, so why are they there? And he said, oh, they're here. So I won't be scared just to let me know everything's okay." And when the being left and went on board the spacecraft, these three orbs of light consciousness went with the being on board spacecraft as well. So if anything demonstrates they're working with consciousness, for me, that was a very, very significant one because it, it demonstrated very clearly that often when we go out of body, that is the form we take, you know, the light body or some call it the Merkaba or whatever. The light body can leave and have all these experiences. And, and that's part of this whole phenomena. And what's opening up with that is as people start to realize more that they're having out of body experiences, having connection with these beings, they find also that they have awareness that they can perhaps work with energy. They become more empathic. They may get downloads of information, which can be anything from scientific, uh, high scientific information from astrophysics right through to um, the origin of the species cosmology there's a whole range of things they may be taught and these will just come into their head as a download including um, guidance um, information about who they are um, understanding about their own origins including other lives and other planets in other in, in other forms a whole range of information starts to come to them once they open up to their encounter experiences well, Mary, um, what you're alluding to is very similar when people have an out-of-body experience and when people have a near-death experience. A lot of people describe um, the NDE experiences and also major astral travelers like uh, uh, receiving information of all of universal knowledge, um, like, like Edgar Mitchell had when he was coming back from the moon. Um, that we're all one, there's no um, uh, disassociation, uh, we're all interconnected, you know, the universal mind, and, and, and having this tremendous amount of information and knowledge, and yet everyone always describes, and yet it was taken away from me, you know? Um, have you ever had uh, those types of experiences with some of the people that you work with? Absolutely. Um, it's, it's interesting that they will be aware sometimes of downloads, but can't access it for some reason or another. And my theory, and it's, it really is just a hypothesis, that as we start to expand, and I believe we're being assisted to expand by these intelligences, to become more connected to a more universal consciousness, then we are probably going to be able to access these extra programs of information or what, what have you as well. One of the things that I remember participating in in 2000 was a thesis um, on the, uh, the parallels between shamanism and abductions, it was called that then, in Western Australia with a gentleman who did his PhD um, on the comparisons between shamanism and abductions. And what was interesting about that particular thesis um, I a CERN then was being used as the, the baseline. There were a number of those of my clients 
participated. And what, what Simon Harvey Wilson, who um, did, did the thesis, uh, wrote the thesis, noticed the parallels between shamanism and reductions were in fact almost identical in terms of expanded consciousness, healing, channeling, um, you know, heightened awareness, um, in a, you know, from intuition, et cetera, et cetera. All the things that, you know, sh those that become shamans talk about being aware of uh, the multidimensional reality were exactly the same for those that had had contact or encountered experiences. And I, this was in the, the year of 2000. So, you know, it was still very, it was groundbreaking. And I always say that the UFO contact experience is a modern day shamanic wake up call that is uh, for humanity. Most definitely. Um, you're asking questions leading up to my next book, uh, A Greater Reality. Um, uh, but, but before we go there, Mary, because that I want to leave that towards uh, the later sections, because um, I think that's the big picture of it all. You know, all these experiences are all interrelated. You can't separate them. And it's all pictures uh, 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 about awakening of humanity um, that we need to change our ways. We need to become much more loving of planet Earth, much more spiritual, and that um, we're all one. There's no separation. But before we get there, <laughs> I still want to break some more uh, some more ground here. Um, Dr. John Mack, uh, you mentioned, was a great influence on, influencer on you. Well, a lot of people don't realize that Dr. Mack's first book uh, titled Abductions was based upon the clients that were sent to him by Bud Hopkins. And, um, and so he was already... Um, approaching this from the people that were already tainted by Bud Hopkins from the abductions perspective. But then after he published that book, he began to get hundreds, uh, if not thousands of emails and, and, and not, not emails, um, letters from individuals that are having these experiences. And once he began to interview these individuals, he had a totally radically different perspective from his first book. And, um, and, and he then approached this phenomenon from a consciousness-based perspective uh, that these were interdimensional or uh, a multidimensional type of experiences. Um, um, can you talk about Dr. Mack's second book, Passport to the Cosmos, um, and why that book was a breakthrough book? And in my opinion, it's not appreciated <laughs> because ufology is still stuck in the muck of 3D materialism. Uh, but Dr. Mack saw it from the very beginning, what, what, 40 years ago, whatever that was when he wrote that, 1999, I guess it was. Um, so can you talk about the importance of Dr. Mack's second book, Passport to the Cosmos? Um, yes, certainly. Passport to the Cosmos was amazing. Um, one of the things that's really significant there and was not appreciated by those that had you know, previously done any hypnosis, um, what was interesting with the, the earlier books on experiences um, where you had a, a ufologist practicing hypnosis, but not necessarily in a therapeutic way, um, often, I believe, had a more biased opinion which led some of the questions that they asked. But a lot of people have problems with hypnosis, thinking that it's easy for people to confabulate, to make things up, that it's imagination. I always remember a wonderful quote from Dr. Mack, where he said he believed 
that um, information from the subconscious was far more accurate than conscious recall. And that's the complete opposite to most people's understanding of what hypnosis is, that it's very easy for people to confabulate and whatever. And the reason for that is your subconscious doesn't edit, whereas the conscious mind, if it's allowed to look at information, will start to analyze and use logic and, and often that will be to dismiss things that may have happened simply because it doesn't accept them whereas when you take somebody into their subconscious they are literally seeing what they're seeing and it's very very what was interesting for me and what um, obviously Dr. Mack was doing because he was also working therapeutically he was looking at the the person understanding from a deeper level why they're involved in that particular experience what was their connection to these beings and that is where you know i found where the transformation comes because often their fear has got in the way of them actually seeing or understanding their experiences with clarity because they're coming from a fear base or They've done something to me. I don't know what it is. It must be terrible because they, you know, um, I don't understand. When you take them into the experience and they can have, if you like, a kind of communication with these intelligences, they can find out often the reason they have had that you know, pickup, if you like, is because there's been a healing procedure. And I'll say, so what, have, what has been the reason for them taking you this time? And they'll say, actually, they're telling me. I needed this healing because I've had issues with, you know, certain things in my body. And I'll say to them, does that make sense to you? And they'll say, absolutely. But what not only was what, you know, Dr. Mack was finding was there was often a connection between these beings and the um, the human or the person having the experience. There was um, not only a genetic connection, but a past life connection. So we're looking really from a soul level rather than just looking at it from a very physical 3D reality. And that's what really changed um, my understanding. But not only that was what Dr. Mack himself was finding, that this was all about consciousness. This was taking it way beyond our limited 3D and taking into a, something we call the soul journey, the consciousness of that individual, which uh, is not limited by space time, that can actually connect with these intelligences from a level of a higher awareness and understanding. And that's where he had a completely different take on what this was all about. And of course, it's been one that I believe we're starting to begin to understand now with all the research that's going on in this uh, from this level of consciousness. Okay, that's a perfect segue, Mary, um, to the topic of um, consciousness. But before we get in there, let me explore the multidimensionality of these experiences, the interdimensional aspects of this. Um, a lot of audience members out there might not know that J. Allen Hynek um, um, started off as a skeptic. He then became a believer in UFOs. But towards the very end of his life, he was questioning whether this phenomenon might be a consciousness-based phenomenon. Um, and, um, um, and I've been presenting in my lectures um, an interview that he did where he was asking these questions that uh, this is shortly before he died, that he suspects that these are consciousness-based phenomena. Now, Dr. Jacques Vallée, uh, and I know you're familiar with his work, um, 
my goodness, over 40 years ago in, in Passport to Magonia and uh, Dimensions and Revelations, uh, all of these uh, uh, books that, that, that he has uh, written over the years. Um, and, uh, uh, he stated that he believes that these, the UFO phenomenon is not a physicalist phenomenon that the quote-unquote beings that we're interacting with, these are not physical beings coming from a physical planet, you know, um, that he, and these UFOs are not literally physical objects coming from a physical planet. What he suspected was that um, whatever this intelligence is, that they are being controlled by a higher intelligence, another form of intelligence, and um, that these experiences are multi-dimensional experiences, consciousness-based experiences. Now, this is coming from the person that I consider the father of modern ufology, uh, is saying this. But Valet has basically been ostracized by ufology. Would, would you kind of agree with that statement that, you know, Valet's perspective was is totally uh, uh, dismissed by uh, mainstream materialist ufology? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when I'm asked about these intelligences, we, you know, the way that I understand it at this moment in time, and of course, I'm, I'm quite happy to be challenged on this, is there are physical, non-physical, interdimensional, extra-dimensional, trans-dimensional, and even those that believe they've come from our future. So we've got in the mix virtually everything that you can relate to consciousness, but in different levels um, that we can access or they can access us depending on what, you know, what frequency, for want of a better word, um, they are. Um, what also we, we have to be aware of is that we have what's known as a, a consciousness or a super consciousness that can also access um, these intelligences from all those levels as well. So in terms of what is that, what is consciousness is, is the big question, isn't it? Is something within us that can access whatever intelligence or awareness or sentience is, however we want to interpret that or understand it with our very limited human uh, uh, brain and our awareness of physics, I suppose. Um, so for me, it's there's nothing out of uh, out of the box. And to say also that for many people, depending on their belief system, if they're very religious, for example, may start to see angels, angelic beings, or they may see, you know, religious figures or whatever. Whereas someone else seeing a, um, a particular being, for example, an angelic being, may call it a light being or an energy being. A lot depends on our own personal perspective and how we interpret through our senses what it is that we are seeing or interacting with. Uh, Mary, what, what I have discovered, and again, we're sort of jumping into the, the next book that I'm writing, is that um, the astral travelers, um, people like Preston Dennett, Marilyn Hughes, and so many of these other individuals that have written books about astral traveling, what I've and, uh, found out was that their experiences are quite unique to them. And also their experiences uh, are constantly changing, um, um, uh, their astral traveling experiences. It sort of molds 
to their personality and their transformation as the, as they uh, age in life and their experiences change. And similar to the near-death experience, um, for example, if you're religious, you're seeing Jesus Christ. Um, there was a woman that I listened to her near-death experience. She's Jewish, and she had two rabbis that appeared to them uh, as as God, you know, and gave her a life review. Um, and um, But the overwhelming majority of the people see an energy being in the form of what they describe as God. But what I discovered was that uh, most of these near-death experiences are quite unique, um, and um, and 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 then uh, with the the UFO contact phenomenon, um, we were talking about before. People were seeing thousands upon thousands of different beings. Um, there was this um, uh, well-known ufologist in Miami, uh, also Cuban American, like I am. Um, he's written seventeen books just on humanoids okay different humanoids these are you know it's, it's got a head it's got arms it's got two legs but th there were thousands of these different types of humanoids and he collected these stories and he's put out uh, books over the last 30 years uh, 17 books and um and 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 what what i also discovered is that these exper experiences for the ufo contact experiences are highly individualized so here we're getting out-of-body experiencers, astral travelers, near-death experiencers, UFO contact experiencers, just like also um, ayahuasca, uh, folks that take ayahuasca or psilocybin uh, entheogenic experiences, again, highly individualized. Um, so what is your comment? Because uh, you were alluding to that earlier about these individualized experiences. So what is your, com uh, your, your commentary on that topic? Well, it's a very interesting one, isn't it? That, you know, so depending on your own um, programming, if you like, and your own belief system will depend on how you interpret your interactions and experiences, etc. And, and this is, I think, the, cr the crux of it, really, because we, we're at a level where we're still judging from our present, you know, 3D programming in many cases and what we feel is acceptable and or not acceptable in terms of our reality. I think our superconscious or our higher self provides us with ways of interpreting our experiences in a way that we can understand depending on our level of, of heightened awareness. Um, I think that at the end of the day, if, if it, we all saw um, the same thing, it would be from a, a really high, um, high level of, of, of understanding and awareness that I don't think we've reached. I think it's part of the human experience is to have an experience of being independent um, as, as a, a source of intelligence to experience in our own unique way um, as it's fed back to a source of consciousness or whatever that we're all, some call it the Akashic records or whatever. I mean, I mean, I don't know. It's my, my very, um, my way of trying to understand something that's so vast and so amazing and so different that it's very hard to know what to say about that other than I think we've chosen to come in as individualized consciousness to experience in our own unique way um, the multidimensional reality of uh, of contact and what have you. And through that, we will interpret it 
um, in, in whatever way fits for us at the time. What's amazing for me is how that changes as I start to know and understand more how my version of what is reality changes at the same time. I read a book on metaphysics many years ago, and the gentleman who wrote it said he wanted to apologize because he'd been asked to write this book for a long, long time. And he said, but the reason I have been reluctant to write it, because as soon as I write down my understanding, it will have changed because <laughs> I'm, continually, I'm continually growing and changing um, as I, you know, as I experience. So you can't put something in a box and say, that's it. Because as we grow in awareness, that also grows our understanding and awareness grows too. Well, uh, that certainly is my situation. If I would have uh, uh, put down in writing what I knew when we first started free and what my understanding now, it's like radically different. Uh, uh, now, Mary, let me ask you a question here. Um, and let's get into the big picture items here, okay? Um, we're talking about individuated units of consciousness. Uh, we're also talking about reincarnation. Okay, and a lot of people, individuals that have had near-death experiences have received information about their past lives. Um, many UFO contact experiences were actually shown past lives. You met uh, our dear friend Alberto and his wife Rebecca, um, and I think he might have told you the story of this uh, um, ancient Chinese warrior that appeared in, uh, in front of his couch when he was watching TV. And it says, I'm your adopted father from 660 BC. <laughs> Remember that story? And the sword, they, they showed you the pictures that they had of Polaroid of the sword. And, and that's just one little example. But he's also had numerous other examples of past lives. Ben, but many other UFO contact experiences were given information about past lives. So uh, I know that you your work, with uh, hypnosis and also when you started off between uh, lives between lives, the Bardo state, you know, dealt with uh, the reincarnation aspect and the past lives. And um, but I would say the vast majority of people that are interested in the ufology aspects uh, are totally clueless about reincarnation. Could you talk a little bit about the connection between the intelligence that we're interacting with and and past lives and reincarnation? Um, in regards to reincarnation, it's very cru crucial to the understanding, I believe, of this whole phenomena, because I'm working on a level where I'm talking to the subconscious, superconscious self that, that will actually respond to showing the individual other lifetimes, for example. I mean, as an aside, many children that I'm working with already have a recall of past lives. Um, I remember one 10-year-old telling me he was a blue being um, and he's come to this planet for the very first time um, with a mission to help with pollution, but he'd, he knew that this was his mission. I meet a lot of children that are talking about being on other planets, crystalline planets, water planets, or whatever, and they've come with their awareness to help this planet at, the, um, at this time go, um, as it, 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 it changes in consciousness. So the children often do have recall, but the adults, many of them may not have recall of a past life um, until sometimes they are uh, um, exploring it through hypnosis. Um, one of the 
more interesting cases very recently that I'm working with a lady where has an absolute connection to a past life where she was on board craft with a number of other people who she recognized as her close friends. And what was interesting, the very next day, many of these friends rang her up and said, you know, we dreamt we had this strange experience on a UFO um, and you were there, et cetera, et cetera. And she said, well, I was there because I, um, I saw you there on, on board the craft. But the lady wanted to know if there was anything else that she could remember. And she asked me to do a regression with her to find out what was significant because she was given a message she couldn't remember. This lady went back to a past life in Atlantis with these very people that were her friends. And they had a task to do in, in Atlantis. And the message came that uh, was to do with present time and that now was the time for her to remember Remembered it in hypnosis. So the whole thing to do with past lives often is a reminder of star origins. Many of them will say, um, I, I finally now realize that part of me has had an origin in the Pleiades or Arcturus or Andromeda or whatever. I've come in with a particular mission or mandate to, and the skills that I developed in that particular lifetime to bring into this planet now. And one of the most significant ones for me was a nine-year-old who said to me, he was from, um, he wanted to talk to me. He told me because of my frequency, he explained to me that he was from Orion. He was a light physicist dealing with time travel technology. And he'd come to this planet to help with the physics that was so primitive here. And the nearest to his work was Tesla. Um, so it's very much tied into what the soul journey that I call the soul journey and really consciousness itself, which is what brings us back to the whole understanding what is consciousness and what are we. <coughs> Excuse me, um, Mary, let's talk about um, one significant finding that we discovered in our surveys was that many of these individuals received messages from UFO intelligence about um, about God, about the mind of God, that we're all one, there's no separateness. And it seems like that message is very, very similar to a lot of people that have had near-death experiences, and also a lot of people that have had astral traveling experiences the information that they have received while they're doing astral traveling and that is about this um this universal mind of god um that has um a wealth of information like like you said like the akashic records it's like uh, 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 uh the one mind of god um so can you talk a little bit about uh, uh your experiences of working with your clients and what type of commentary they've had regarding, uh, quote-unquote, God? Um, I can certainly do that. I mean, many of my clients have said that these intelligences do acknowledge a higher source of, uh, that you would call God. But there were two very interesting ones, I will say, coming from the children. One was a seven-year-old that talked about he was... Um, told about God and he showed what looked like a black hole but not a black hole but um, an ultraviolet light 
he was told that creates. In other words, a frequency, if you like, an energy that creates. And he was shown that was the creative force. So that was unexpected. Another young lady of nine told me that she said that this this being she called an other, it's not male or female, she called an ultra-terrestrial um, and lived in the, the land of light and angels and we came from there. So that's two coming from the children, which I think is really fascinating. But the, the truth is that it seems to be um, now, Mary, you, you were broke up there at the end. Um, okay. Could you just repeat what you just said at the very end? Well, there seems to be an acceptance from all these intelligences that is a source of higher awareness, consciousness that we, we refer to as God. God, although there's no gender attached to that, of course, and that it is where we all come from. Okay, so again, um, striking parallels to the near-death experience research. Now, let me ask you this question. Is um, I would argue that almost everybody that was part of the Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation, the, the research committee, both the academics and the researchers, they all had uh, a belief or a hypothesis that all of the paranormal um, needs to be studied as one phenomenon instead of separate and and individualized uh, little packets in their little fiefdoms, uh, which exist today. Uh, you know, the UFO folks ask, what the hell does UFOs have to do with NDEs? The NDE folks would say, what the hell does NDEs have to do with UFOs or or without a body experiences, et cetera, et cetera. So if you could summarize that 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 position that um, wh what I would term is that all of the contact modalities uh, are interrelated and need to be studied as one integrated phenomenon. What is your comment to that statement? Well, I absolutely concur. And the reason that it's been so significant that we, we acknowledge the interconnectedness of all those kinds of phenomena is because it separates out what really is connected in, in the sense that I've worked many of those in this, the new, what I would call the metaphysical side of um, you know, their understanding or new agey, if you like, as well, channeling, uh, healing, all these kinds of uh, other aspects of a multidimensional um, reality where I've met individuals that say their biggest problem has been working in a group that are expanding awareness, whether it's channeling, whether it's some other um, ability. Um, and they said, but my spirit guide has been a blue being with black eyes and except they said. And so, you know, this has been the problem as soon as out of of what they expect, like an angelic form or, you know, um, a, a, a other religious form, they can't accept the other beings as part of that. And of course, it's all part of that. It's all in the same realm. It's only different forms. Of yeah, yeah you're, break, you're breaking up, Mary. Um, you, you were saying it's all part of the same realm. It just has a different physical appearance to it. 
that's exactly right. Yes, yeah. and it's 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 just different ways we perceive our own multidimensional, uh, or we work through our own multidimensional perception is how we will interpret it or judge it. Yeah, and um, again, you know, my approach, which is uh, exactly your approach, is um, to me we're not seeing you know, a uh, hundred thousand different beings coming from a hundred thousand different planets that um, from my perspective is that all of these individuals are coming, uh, um, all of these interactions that we're having with are coming from source, are coming from the mind of God uh, interacting with us. But just like a ghost, okay, when we see Aunt Sally the day after she dies, you know, appearing in, in your living room, and she's communicating with you telepathically. You don't worry about me. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know. Um, I'm 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 on I'm the interview here. I'll open up later. I'm sorry about that, Mary. Um, okay. So so yeah, there's um um the 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 perspective of many individuals that are now participating with. The CCRI, the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute, is that um, uh, all of these diversity of uh, of physical beings that we're interacting with, and we're not just talking about UFO intelligence. We're talking about the intelligence that people are interacting with via near-death experiences, via out-of-body experiences, via astral traveling experiences, um, via automatic writing, via ghosts and spirits. The, the vast majority of the people that are part of the CCRI view this as one manifestation of consciousness. So would you tend to agree with that? Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is if someone's having a death experience, a shamanic experience or a healing experience where they are starting to see more of the, you know, the other realms, that's how it works. It, it doesn't matter which which vehicle or which way you open up multidimensionally. Ultimately, you will see what everybody else sees, whether it's, as I say, through a shamanic wake-up call, an out-of-body experience, astral traveling, remote viewing. All of these different ways really just open you up to perceiving more of the greater reality. Yeah. Now, the way I start my introductory chapter, Mary, is I start with a quote from Edgar Mitchell. Um well, we talk about that humanity needs to change. Uh, if not, we're going to be destroying this planet and that we need to change both um, how we treat the planet, but also spiritually. We need to become more spiritual and more loving. And then I transition into this uh, statement, which I've never heard anyone talk about it, but it just came to me uh, that um, three out of the four major contact modalities um, the four major ones I consider near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, UFOs, and also people that see deceased people, ghosts and spirits. Ghosts and spirits, that's been talked about since the dawn of mankind, you know. But ufology, I would argue, was circulated on an international basis in almost every language when Star Trek got syndicated. Okay, so now you have every TV station around the world watching Star Trek in their native language. And Star Trek talked about 
um, uh, numerous different types of beings coming not only from physical planets, but also from other dimensions, okay? It, telepathic communication, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so that was uh, 1970. With Raymond Moody's book, okay, Life After Life, which introduced the concept of near-death experiences, that was 1975. That was International Times bestseller, translated all over the world. And now you could ask anybody in Timbuktu or, you know, in Mongolia, what is a near-death experience? And people have heard of that term, okay? Now, the term out-of-body experience is not as familiar as near-death experiences, but it's an extremely common term all around the world. And the person that began to publicize that internationally was Robert Monroe with his three books. And, and his first book, Higher Journeys, was published in 1972. And again, all of his books were translated to all the major languages around the world, had wide circulation. And now I would argue that, you know, majority of humanity knows is an out-of-body experience, um, uh, just like near-death experiences and UFOs. So when you look back at it, it all started within five years, between 1970 and 1975. And this is before the Internet. For a lot of the youngsters that are out there, they're totally clueless of life before the internet. But before something had to be circulating in writing or on TV, you know, or in a movie in order for you to circulate around the world. Okay. It's not like now, okay, where you put something on the internet and it explodes all over the world. Okay. So uh, these three out of the four major contact modalities started within five years of each other. So then I asked myself, was that a coincidence? Or was this something that was pre-planned for humanity to wake up humanity because we are on the verge at the crossroads of self-destruction? So what, what do you uh, believe of that hypothesis that I have? I think it's very valid. One of the reasons that people say to me, uh, or one, they ask me the reason why we have so much going on in terms of contact these days that it's coming out and so many people have had experiences. I said, uh, my understanding was that as soon as we reached a certain level of technical uh, expertise, enough to destroy our planet, in other words, these intelligences decided to step in and uh, orchestrate um, a mass activation or awakening of humanity, because otherwise it's like I, a three-year-old. I, I, I call it, Mary, a kundalini awakening of humanity. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I think that they've, they've had to step in and excel whatever program um, they may have had for um, assisting us to evolve. And they've accelerated that to the point now where it's become so much more um, normal in terms of it's being normalized that people now can start to accept that we are more than our physical body, that we have abilities and awareness that transcend space time. And it's, it is, you know, um, consciousness is becoming the buzzword, isn't it? That we are all connected. And this is what I think has been their program because it's needed to happen. Yeah. And um, the, the new book that I'm writing, you know, you're very well informed. We've been communicating, you know, uh, over several years about this new book. Um, I wanted to write this book because um Individuals are viewing 
uh, all of these different par quote unquote paranormal phenomena, what I call the contact modalities, as separate and distinct. So I wanted to be able to write a book how it needs to be viewed as all one phenomenon. And um, from my understanding, um, that book does, never existed because I asked, you know, you, I asked John Climo, Edgar Mitchell, Rudy Shields, um, all of the parapsychologists that they introduced me, Gene Radin, um, Stanley Krippner, uh, all of these people involved in parapsychology, which Edgar connected me to and, and John Climo. I said, I want to read the book or the article that talks about that consciousness is fundamental and that all of these paranormal experiences are all interrelated. And they said, well, we've alluded to it here and there in our books and in our articles and some of our lectures, but in terms of putting the big picture together, it doesn't exist. And I'm like, how could it not exist? It's so obvious. Right, Mary? It's obvious to you. It's obvious to me. It's obvious to major contact experiencers. But yet the vast majority of humanity is totally clueless about that. So that's why um, I'm putting together this book, uh, A Greater Reality. And it's um, going to be having um, um, two components of it. One are articles written by researchers, mainly PhD academics, and the other half are articles written by experiencers. They're talking about um, they're having everything in the kitchen sink, you know, like like our, our friend Alberto, you know, down in, in Florida. He's had everything. Um, and he's a retired DEA federal agent. <laughs> and I'm sure you've had medical doctors, you've had uh, politicians, priests, you know, from all walks of life that are having these experiences. Um but yet I wanted to approach it also from the consciousness-based aspect of it, not just from an experiential-based aspect. Of it. And you wrote an article for our book. Um, do, do you recall uh, a little bit about your article and, and what you stated in that article? Um, I do, uh, uh, in terms of the overall, do you yeah. want me to... Uh, just the big picture, maybe, the big picture. Okay. Well... Well, being a researcher um, most, and a therapist, I've worked mostly with helping others to um, come to terms with their experiences, to work with them and to expand on them. Whereas I haven't often spoken about my own personal journey to how I came to be able to assist those that are waking up with those, these abilities. And the only way that I could assist them is because I've experienced much of it myself or certainly some of it myself and work through a process that has enabled me to function on that level as well as on a very physical level so i i mention a little bit of my journey to reaching a point where i can actually be um, of assistance to others that are starting to wake uh, if you like activate those parts of themselves which are all in the multi-dimensional realm and that's you know, sensing, feeling, knowing, clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, um, and everything else that sort of gets attached to what we call um, the non-physical realm, where empathy, understanding energies, all these things I was exposed to in, in one form or another. And I thought, well, maybe it's time to show that through experiencing it myself, I can actually understand what's going on to a certain extent in, in, and somebody else who's just starting to realize this is part of their reality too. Yeah. And, um, 
uh, as a corollary, Mary, uh, Dr. John Klima wrote a, an article for our book about how the fields of psychology and psychiatry need to change to accommodate experiencers of the contact modalities. So it's, it's um, you know, um, the, the, the hammer to what you just said, you know, uh, that these two fields that are working with these experiencers of, uh, of, um, of these unusual, you know, some might call anomalous type of experiences, that these are very real uh, and do not dismiss them. Um, and so, um, now, now, Mary, inter yes, go ahead. Can I just say that my biggest issue with the 3D reality is the lack of understanding in the model of psychology that is totally inaccurate, that um, most people within the therapeutic realm stick to, which is your, only your physical senses, when yeah. plainly it is obvious we are uh, multidimensional in nature and that we have all these other senses. And until modern psychology acknowledges that, we are still going to be marginalize and treat as suspect anyone who has any of these this awareness or is seeing great, a greater reality. That has to change. And your book, I believe, will be significant in being part of that change. Well, we hope so, Mary, because there's... Uh... Uh, it's a book that's written by professors in medical schools, uh, chapters, by chapters by various PhD academics. We have two PhD astrophysicists, um, Dr. Rudy Shields and, and Massimo uh, Tordorini from, from Italy. Uh, they both wrote chapters about uh, UFO-related topic. And, um, and we have um, like five academics that have been doing research on near-death experiences, um, it, it's putting all the pictures together, um, and, and that's why it's called A Greater Reality, The New Paradigm of Non-Local Consciousness, The Paranormal, and The Contact Modalities, and uh, hopefully by September 1st, it'll be published, and it'll be establishing, as the book title says, a new paradigm, a new way of viewing our reality. Well, at, at, at this point, Mary, um, I'm going to be ending our show. This is uh, Ray Hernandez. Uh, the show has been Consciousness and the Contact Modalities. And we've had our dear friend, Mary Rodwell, one of the co-founders of the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation, speak to us exactly on this topic, the relationship between consciousness and the contact modalities. Uh, and I hope you join us next week where we will be having uh, Preston Dennett, the author of more than 25 books on the paranormal and UFO topics. And also Preston is a major astral traveler. On behalf of uh, uh, the X, please see us next week. Good night, everyone. Mm -hmm.